Bob K, everybody. Uh, please, Bob, speak whatever you want to say, buddy. Always a pleasure to hear you. You need to unmute as well, my friend. Is that better? Hello. My name's Bob. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, as far as sobriety time, next month I'll have 32 years of sobriety. And the absolute uh, highlight during that 30 years was I went to a Zoom meeting in Cincinnati the first time I heard Penny read the Russell Brand steps. Can you unfuck yourself, you motherfucker? I mean, it was fantastic. It's uh, Mark used to talk like that before he got religion, but uh, he's better now. So uh, I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, I came to the Tusnua meeting early on, early pandemic, and uh, I'm one of the people that I, I think I like the Zoom stuff better than live. Just punch a bunch of numbers and go someplace else. And the opportunity to go all over the world I thought was fabulous. Uh, AA is a very, very regional type of thing, and you can go – and think this is what AA is like, and you drive 30 miles away, and it's you encounter something quite a bit different. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to go around the world is interesting. Uh, I went to a meeting in East Kilbride, Scotland, and I'm just outside the East End of Toronto. I got sober in Toronto, East End, and we have a lot of people uh, from Scotland originally. So I go to this meeting in East Kilbride, Scotland, and this is the honest to God truth. The people at that meeting had weaker accents than the people in Toronto from Scotland who've been here for 55 years. So I have no idea how that works. They got to go home at night, practice in front of the mirror or something, make sure they keep their accent up to snuff. Uh, I go almost every day to the same restaurant for lunch. And there's an 80-year-old Scottish guy there, and he talks to me. I don't understand a word he says, and he must have been here for 50 goddamn years. So uh, I don't know what that's all about. You Irish guys aren't so bad in uh, uh, England as well. So uh, um, just want to talk about this is the part where the speaker says, I really don't like speaking in meetings. I'd rather just sit at the back or make coffee or whatever. And I have to tell you, I used to love it. And when I was new and I couldn't wait for them to ask me, when are they going to get me up there? And, uh, you know, uh, uh, a couple of years sober, we have a big conference in Toronto, 3,300 people average. And I'm going, when are they going to get me up there? Well, probably when they, not before we get some confidence that you're going to stay sober. Because <laughs> I was not the... Uh, I was not the uh, AA member of the year in 1991 when I came here. Uh, so, but there weren't a lot of choices. And, you know, I had, I had screwed around for quite a while pretending I'm not an alcoholic and doing everything to deny that. And I did not come to AA because I wanted to quit drinking. I did not want to quit drinking Life without drinking was unimaginable, even though it was cause, starting to cause me tremendous problems. You know, it's hard being a 40-year-old guy going to a party and you can't talk to people. Uh, the young people in my group cannot believe that I was ever shy. And I was shy, especially in certain circumstances. And I hated that about myself. And uh, 
you know, when I drink six double vodkas, I'm not shy anymore. And I'm talking to people and, uh, um, you know, the unfortunate part is, uh, I don't stop there or slow down. I speed up and, uh, then I might be doing something outrageous uh, an hour and a half later. But, um, anyway, uh, Here's the thing. So anyway, I'm coming to AA and, you know, people were nice to me. And, uh, you know, my friends stopped being nice to me. I hung out with guys, uh, you know, you had to buy your rounds. And when I was short of money for that, they don't carry you. They just look at you funny and uh, you better get some new friends. And uh, by the time I got to AA, I didn't have friends left and uh, uh, very much at all. And, uh, Anyway, so that was one of the things I liked in spite of the religiosity. Oh, and I have to say something here. My late father, if he was alive today, today would be his 99th birthday. And he was an AA guy. He got sober in 1961. That's a long time ago. And uh, he loved it. He loved AA. Uh, he had a sponsor. Sponsor was a World War I guy. I, I asked him one time, what, what happened to his face? Did he fall down when he was drunk or something? He said, no, that's shrapnel from when he was in the trenches in World War I. So this guy lived across the street. He was older than Bill Wilson. And, uh, uh, yeah, he died in 1966. He was 15 years sober. And he was freaking old. He was older than I am now. So he was older than Bill Wilson. And uh, so... This thing doesn't go back an infinite amount of time. Uh, my grandfather was older than Bill Wilson. My father came to AA when he was 36 years old. When my grandfather was 36, there was no AA. So we can take it for granted and to talk about being pissed off with it. And, uh, you know, I've studied this stuff a bit. And there, there was some sobriety going on before AA. But... I don't think anything had a terribly high percentage. You know, we are we are tough patients for the medical people and we are tough candidates for the religious people. And, uh, you know, people would get sober with religion and then two months into it, they go, I'm not the same as these guys. You know, uh, they're, they're trying to get Dr. Bob sober with the Oxford group for two and a half years. And according to him, he got drunk every night and, you know, he knew that alcoholism was more than just sin. And the Oxford group, those guys, the religious guys thought it was sin. You know, repent, you son of a... Uh, anyway, I wish I could swear like Penny. She is fucking awesome. He is uh, my hero. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I swear quite a bit because... Young people like it when old people swear. It's just like makes them look cool or something. Yeah. So the twenty-seven-year-olds eat it up. They love this shit. But uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, I'm coming to AA, and uh, you know, I got mixed feelings about it. I don't like the religious stuff, but that's the only choice. I went to the library one time, and uh, you know, I figured out I'd be better off if I lived in California, Chicago, or in New York. They had some options there, and there was something called SOS. And uh, But all these things have remained relatively small. This uh, secular AA that we have going on right now is doing well. We passed uh, some of these other groups for size and availability, 
And the pandemic and the internet has been fabulous for us. It's just been fabulous. So, you know, the the ability to go to a whole big variety of secular meetings. Like, I'm on the fringe of a big city. Uh, me and another guy started a secular group nine years ago. And uh, we got to travel quite a bit to go to the next one. So if you want to go to two meetings a week... Uh, you know, you better be prepared to do some driving. And, of course, not everybody's got a car, even over here. And uh, so the availability isn't great. But on Zoom, it's fantastic. And uh, uh, I've gone to more meetings in the last three years than I have at any time in my sobriety. Any time ever. Like, uh, I was an early guy. I did a meeting every day. And uh, uh, sometimes I did two but I never did four or five in one day and then get up and did three the next day and three the next day. And, uh, you know, just by clicking numbers and going uh, to Colorado and California and different time zones. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm on some Facebook book groups and people go, well, I went to the meeting and they did the Lord's prayer and I get all pissed off. I go, why do you go? Oh, well, because, uh, you know, you got to go in person. So is it better to go in person and get pissed off, uh, listen to the stuff I don't like, or go on Zoom? I mean, the principal form of communication in AA is verbal. You know, it's uh, what people say. And, uh, you know, I can listen to that. I, you know, I ask the people that hate Zoom, do you ever watch television? Oh, yeah, a lot. Well, kind of the same. So, you know... Uh, I haven't got the money to go to Australia, then Europe, and then uh, South America, but I could do all that shit one day on television or watching movies or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm more pro-Zoom than most people. Anyway, back to the live thing. Uh, you know, uh, early on, somebody asked me to chair a meeting, and I, uh, for me, it was like, Jesus, they want me to be the prime minister of Canada. This is fabulous. I'm going to be in charge, and... Uh, uh, you know, I had bad self-esteem when I got here and I was one of those bad self-esteem guys that is arrogant as shit and got a big mouth and saying stuff. And, uh, but I had low self-esteem, so I would chair a meeting and get self-esteem. And then when I started speaking at meetings, I would get self-esteem. So I'll tell you, speaking at meetings story, uh, uh East End of Scarborough, or East End of Toronto is called Scarborough. And I was at this meeting in Scarborough, uh, asked to speak there. And, and just before the speaker, they gave out chips and three brand new people got the 24-hour chip. And I was still naive enough to think back then that uh, people getting the desire chip were new. They might have had 47 of those chips in their pocket. Uh that's the reality uh, our success rate. It's not rare. Rarely do we see a person fail. Open your eyes. You'll see a lot of people fail at this thing. It's not easy and it's not automatic. And uh, there's no guarantees that I've seen. Anyway, so these guys get up and get the beginner chip. And I'm just, there's something about us, you know, even in the state of being messed up, that we want to help people. I wanted to help these three guys that got up and got the desire chip. So I told them everything I knew about AA and a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know. And I went on for 52 minutes 
And in my area, the standard talk is half an hour. They ask you to do half an hour open meeting talk or pitch or whatever we call it. And uh, so 52 minutes, uh, I, um, so they didn't ask me back to that group for 19 and a half years, Mark, 19 and a half years. So I have a friend of mine, Wayne, real good AA guy. He wasn't there that night. He's working in the, he worked in a treatment center and he was on a shift. So I asked him later, I says, Jesus, what, why did they wait 19 and a half years to have me back to that meeting? He says, well, we had a business meeting right after, and we decided not to have you back until everybody who had been at that meeting that night had died. So they wouldn't have to go through it again. And uh, yeah, so the second time, so the second, when I spoke there 19 and a half years later, it's actually on a panel and this good looking woman was the chairperson. And uh, um, anyway, after I spoke and after the meeting and the post meeting thing, she says to me, are you single? And I'm going, man, this was worth 19 and a half years waiting for this. And I have a brain that just goes into high gear when something like that happens. And I'm thinking, you know, she asked how old you are. Just say, is age important? Age isn't, isn't important. So anyway, we're having this conversation. I figure out she's trying to line me up with her mother, her mother. So I first, I said, how old's your mother? And she says, oh, well, age isn't really important. I go, what? <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, it is when it goes the wrong way. But uh, yeah, so uh, I got asked to, uh, I got asked to speak at a thing uh and I, like I haven't given any thought since I talked to Mark, but I used to get asked to speak a week ahead and I go into rehearsal and I couldn't sleep and two thirty in the morning, I'm saying this and saying that, uh, trying to rehearse the spiel. And, uh, um, anyway, I get up and do it. And I would always sit down and I go, I left this out or I left that out. And I was hard on myself. And I go, oh, you didn't do, they didn't say this anyway. Once I got sober a long time, I figured out people wish you would have left a lot more stuff out. Like, keep it down to a reasonable length. We don't want to hear you for an hour. I mean, Christ, you know, come to my house at night and talk. If I got insomnia, you can put me to sleep, but not here at the meeting. And, uh, yeah, so uh, um, anyway, I had these speaker ambitions, and I did a lot of speaking in conventional AA, and they know I'm an atheist. They know I'm an atheist, but I'm not uh, uh, obnoxious about it. And I don't talk about sky daddies, and I try not to use offensive terms. And I just say, I am just not in the mainstream of this thing, but I've been able to make it work. And, and I see some value in the steps. And I don't know if you have to do 12 or 5 or whatever, but I've got a lot out of taking inventory and and I made amends to my ex-wife. I made amends to my parents. There's three people who aren't on the planet anymore. So it's a good thing I didn't dick around with that forever uh, because those opportunities don't last forever. And I feel good that I did those things, really good that I did those things. And, uh, you know, here in AA, if you want to raise your self-esteem, 
do esteemable acts or estimable acts, probably more properly. Uh, and that's an, that's an esteemable act. And, uh, um, you know, the amends to my parents wasn't a simple apology. In 2003, uh, neither one of them could drive cars anymore. And I had to step in and take them places and doctor's appointments and do their grocery shopping and cook them some meals. And I didn't live with them, but I parented my parents for about two and a half years. And that's one of the best things I've done in my life. I, I'm a bit of a scumbag. Uh, I'm no Mark, but I'm a bit of a scumbag. And uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I haven't done a lot of things. I don't do the charity run and uh, get on my bicycle and go 47 kilometers uh, for the Big Brothers organization. And uh, uh, being an Alcoholics Anonymous has allowed me to help some people. Uh, I have the best sponsee relationship with somebody that I've ever had the last five or six years. And he's a rock and roll musician that was able to get sober in spite of being in a drinking and drugging environment uh, most nights of the week. So it's amazing what's possible here. Uh, kind of when you set your mind to it and do some of the right stuff. But anyway, like like a lot of us, he continues to encounter problems. He has a daughter that still won't talk to him, although he's eight years sober. And then, you know, he makes she makes cracks that gets back to him that well, I don't really think he's not drinking, and you know, just whatever and tough stuff. The, you know, I don't care that much about strangers, but what the people I care about think about me, uh, you know, it's hard to put that aside. I'm not a robot, so. We've got some slogans and things sometimes that, uh, you know, it's easy to toss out there and it's easy for the other guy. But when it comes down to me, uh, I can't stop caring what people think to some degree. Try not to be dominated by it. But um, anyway, uh, what did I want to talk about? I want to talk about the Toronto situation because I was an insider there in 2009, my friend Joe C., who I did not know then, uh, started the first agnostic group in Toronto. And there was no big deal. And, and it ran for 18 months. They had a link-off page off the Toronto website. It was pretty clear that it was an unconventional group. They did not hide that. It was pretty clear that they rated a version of the steps that was not the version that's in the big booka. And... Uh, Anyway, then some people got organized and distressed about it and said, we can't have this. And uh, it was April 2011. They brought a motion to kick the groups out. So the discussion started. It went on about like 90 minutes. And somebody said, we got to carry this over to the next meeting. And the people that with the agenda, they just pu pushed it. They said, no, we're going to resolve it tonight. They wanted to get those agnostic groups out before the next little booklet was printed where they might be listed. They wanted to get them off. Uh, so people said, oh, well, they just listed them. Well, yeah, they took them off the, uh, the list, but they also took away any rights to vote on any of the affairs of AA that go on in Toronto, like that convention I was talking about and the outreach program to schools and uh, you know, public information, uh, cooperation with the professional community. All those uh, committees are run by Toronto Intergroup. And, uh, yeah, those two uh, – and there was two groups by the time they got booted out. So 
I wasn't at the Toronto meetings. Uh, I wasn't at the Toronto meeting where they got kicked out. But six months later, they had to wait six months. One of the liberal groups said, let's relist these guys. Let's make the motion. Let's talk about this some more. Now they had no problem talking about it for six months. It went on for six months. And I went to all those meetings. And it was tough because people would get up and make the anti-agnostic, uh, as we call it, then speeches. And, you know, I'm going, these people don't want me here. And if I would, if I was a tough guy, I'd be in jail now because I would have punched somebody in the face. It was just, it was an ugly, nasty, nasty experience. And uh, anyway, uh, when they finally did the vote, so when they did the first group to kick, the, when they did the first vote to kick out the groups, the vote was something like 25 to 16 with a couple of abstentions. When they when they did the the vote to relist the groups, it went 61 to 19 against. Where did all those extra, it was like 30 or 35 more groups there. Where did they all come from? They got recruited by the anti-agnostics to come in from the hinterland. And they got people that hadn't been participating for six years to come that one night to vote to uh, kick Joe C's uh, group out and the other, the other group. And uh, uh, by that time, there was a third group. They hadn't uh, even been investigated, but they kicked them out because, well, they're affiliated with the other two groups. So anyway, it's interesting how life works. And uh, uh, I wrote an essay one time for the website uh, Agnostica, which was formed because of to, to publicize the location and times of the agnostic groups. I mean, if, if a group got kicked out 30 years ago and got taken off the list and taken off the phone list, you would have no new people coming other than those you were able to personally recruit. And in the modern era, people can punch some buttons and find your stuff pretty fast. And uh, so that was the original purpose of Bay Agnostica. I just want to add, those people got a little nastier than that. They went up the ladder and sideways to general service and try to get those groups completely kicked out of a, and, you know, not registered at GSO and all that stuff. Anyway, my friend Larry Knight and uh, Joe C is a placid, gentle type of guy. Roger, who ran the agnostic website, and I were a little more hot-blooded and uh you know we wanted to do something larry k wanted to do something and joe said let's negotiate for a while and see where it goes after about three years of negotiation toronto intergroup said yeah you guys can come back in as long as you employ uh, as long as you totally cave in on every single element that uh, we asked you to do well no that's not what we're about so Anyway, Larry Kay, Larry Knight went out individually, followed his, filed a civil rights uh, action, human rights action, we call it here. And anyway, the, the, I, I had a friend that time on the uh, Toronto Winter Group uh, Committee, and he said, no, oh, we're not even worried about that. That's not going anywhere. Well, when it finally got to, you know, the preliminary look at it, they said, yeah, your case has merit. Now it's going forward. 
now Larry got a free lawyer and whatever, whatever that, you know, somewhat favoring the small guy against the big guy. And Toronto Winter Group found out that uh, they have to obey the law of the land. And this didn't get down to the adjudication case uh, stage, but it was very clear Toronto Winter Group was losing and GSO pressed them to settle. They said, settle with these guys. So Larry Kay got some money. Those groups are back doing exactly what they did before. They read, uh, you know, like, the, you know, could be Russell Brand's version of the steps. There's there's one they wrote themselves about a dozen years ago. There's a pretty good uh, secularized 12-step version. They, I think they still read that. At the online meeting, they rotate and read some of the new ones, Jeffrey Munn, et cetera. And uh, it, it's worth saying that uh, I try and say this once in a while in meetings. There has never been a better time for atheists and agnostics in AA. Uh, we have secular meetings all around the world. We have more than we've ever had. Still don't have them physically in a lot of locations. If you live in Georgia, you're going to have trouble finding a live secular meeting. But you can go online and find access to the same ones I go to. Uh, the second thing, we the era of self-publishing as I proved in 2015, any idiot can publish a book. And uh, so there have been a lot of books published. And uh, I'm not one to beat my head against, a, a, you know, a cement door that is, you know, the GSO, the AA attitude about changing anything. It's not going to happen. You know, the anti-change people have convinced the moderates that uh, once one thing changes, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And uh, that's not what would happen. But I don't waste a lot of time trying to lobby for big changes to go on in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous official ones. And I'm content with the unofficial ones. You know, Russell Brand's book, and there's a bunch of others, and there were several before that. And if I pick up one and I don't like it that much, uh, you know, pop for 12 bucks and get another one and, uh, you know, uh, or get a sponsor and get him to buy you one. That's I was good at conning sponsors. I used to be good at that. I, I'd uh, phone my sponsor up once in a while and ask him a question just to make him feel good. Hang up the phone, go, I'm not going to do it. He said, but uh, he'll feel better now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. As I said, I wasn't the uh, candidate of the year in uh, 1991. Anyway, uh, things got a lot better for me as a result of being sober. I, I don't deny that. I don't have a big problem with AA. I think AA has some absolutely sharp, sharp psychological ideas hidden under the religious language. You know, the 10th step. Uh, I'm the type of explosive person. I can get mad at in arguments with my own friends. And, you know, the, the take the 10th step and go make up with somebody and say, geez, I was wrong the other day. I was in a bad mood. Sorry. How, how do you argue against doing that? Uh, people that never do that, uh, you know, I don't want to be around them that much. You know, people that are right and got to stay right. And uh, I can be like that. That's kind of my default position. But, you know, just backtracking, the amends I made, and I made some other ones, and I paid back some money I owed. And uh, But people say, well, I'll just do the living amends and 
act differently. Some of the people that I offended, they got value out of me hearing me own it and me saying, yeah, I was wrong about that. And I feel bad about that instead of just, oh, I'm not going to do that to them anymore. And maybe they got to carry a resentment uh, now. I know something about carrying resentments. I'm pretty good at it. But um, anyway, uh, since the 52-minute thing uh, where they didn't have me back for 19 and a half years, if you guys decide not to have me back in 19, for 19 and a half years, that's going to be a problem because I'm not going to be around that long. And uh, so I'm going to shut it off and uh, say that I was pleased to be here. And... Uh, I'm going to continue to go to the Cincinnati meeting and hope they ask Penny to say fuck about 14 times because I love that. You know, I, I don't have a lot of excitement going on in my life. Oh, I do. So uh, let me do the uh, pimping a little bit. So in 2015, I wrote a book called Key Players in AA History. And for that type of specialty book, it's been a reasonable seller. What I take pride in, there's two atheists that I know of that have written history books about AA. One is Bob Kennedy, and the other one is Jim Burwell. Jim Burwell wrote a book called The Evolution of Alcoholics Anonymous. Got all kinds of mistakes in it, probably, because he, he, he tells a story. He blacked out almost every time he drank, and uh, that's shocking for even for most alcoholics to hear. That's, uh, yeah, so he had some memory issues, but... Uh, so there's a history group in London, England. You, the Shaberg book was mentioned before, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't seen William Shaberg make a presentation, try to take that in on the weekend of the 7th and 8th. He is a marvelous presenter. He's going to turn 80 in a week or so, and uh, uh, he's just got a lot of enthusiasm. His book is brilliant. It's deeply researched. Some of the fundamentalists hated it when it came out. But the research is so diligent, and it's hard to argue with. Here's the facts. You, well, you go read all those letters in the archives, see what your conclusion is. And it was just like we knew already in the history community, Bill Wilson's a big exaggerator. Anyway, uh, there's a group from London, England called Growing an Understanding Group. And there's different stuff of these. So another thing about the internet, there's some interesting meetings. I go to three different history meetings a week, AA history meetings. And uh, that's resuscitated my interest because when you've been to a lot, a lot of these meetings, it kind of gets boring after a while sometimes. And uh, uh, I've been a bit of a stage of that right now. I think I overdosed on meetings there for a while. Go, oh, is he going to say that again? And why is that guy going on for eight minutes? And uh, um, Yeah, so uh, the bad aspects of the personality don't go away. Poof, poof, magically gone. That'd be kind of cool if that happened. Oh, look at Bob Kennedy. He used to be impatient. Now he's just... He's like a Zen master, that guy, just so mellow. And uh, that would be nice. People around me would like that, I think, but uh, they're not going to get it. Right, Penny? Fuck them. And uh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, the, the London group is going to do a read through of my book, like they did with Shaberg uh, for three times. And uh, they're going to like read a chapter, two chapters a week and I'll be there for question and answer. And 
anyway, for an old, like I used to chase women and get drunk and do exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, this is as good as it gets at 73 years old. You're reading your book. You know, I, I tell my brother, I'm trying to be famous in the anonymous thingy, you know, trying to be famous, the anonymous thingy. So, uh, anyway, uh, I like secular AA, uh, I think AA in general is good if you we change it a bit. And I love what Joe C says. If you need to change a word, change the word. The word won't mind. And, uh, you know, brilliant guy. Uh, Shaberg said the other day, we were talking about Joe C. And how smart he is. And when I first met him, I thought, what a nice guy, but not very bright. And uh, why, why I thought he was not very bright. He's not an egomaniac. He's not jumping up and down like me, trying to uh, uh, use a five-syllable word he looked up in the dictionary last night. And he's also a divergent thinker. He thinks in an odd way about certain things. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can think, oh, he's not that swift, but really he's very swift. Uh, one of the piece, people I like, and uh, I learned a long time ago, uh, you can learn from the people that are doing it right, and you can learn from the people that are doing it wrong. And, uh, you know, Josie's a bit of a role model for me. He's no, he's no penny, but he ain't bad. So that's it for me, Mark. Thank you.